Let's uh, pray this morning and get into our message. Actually, I want to pray for D&D. So I'm going to pray for D&D, and then I'm going to move into that prayer that I have you pray before I preach. God, we come uh, on behalf of our friends. We thank you for them, and we pray for their safety, their security, but also their effectiveness in ministry. And God, I pray a blessing on them today. We thank you uh, for what you've done in their lives and what you're doing through their lives. And God, we pray to be a good support. Not ask you to pray, those of you listening from home and those of you here today, if you just give this prayer to God, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, we do pray that you... glorified. God, we pray that you'd be glorified, that everyone hearing this would be edified, and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I purposely haven't had enough coffee yet because I'm going to do so in front of you. So sometimes the synapses aren't really clicking until I've had that 10th cup. So (laughs) we are in a series called Dive In. That is why we've chosen Some of you might be thinking another reason for us having blue this morning, uh, but that is not the reason why we've had blue. And thank you, Alec, who is a Go Blue fan for singing All Hail King Jesus. We hail Jesus and we applaud Michigan. Michigan, good job, but I'm not going to say hail blue. It's hail King Jesus and nice job, blue. And those of us who bleed green have no life and nothing happiness at all, so... But we are blue this morning because dive in. It's all about water. And hopefully you understand uh, the image. I love the image uh, of this. And so many people are like, what is that? That's a, that's a person that's just dove in. And so if you see the water splash and the thing, that's a person diving in. It's a little bit different on your notes. If you've got the actual written notes, that person's diving sideways. That might be awkward. But uh, just understand that that's the imagery. Dive in. Authentic and relevant Christianity. All in. The idea is don't just dip your toe in. Don't just kind of be Christian in this world, don't just kind of be going to church, but dive in. And so we are walking through, that's the image there for the black rock, and that's not me, but I love that shot. Love to get back there soon. We're we're talking through our mission to multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God. Everybody say passionate. And then this week, we're going to talk about obedient to God's word. Everybody say that with me. Obedient to God's word. These are really great things to walk through. We should probably do this every year. Talk through our mission statement, what we want to be doing. How do we, how do, will we know for an effective church? Well, are people passionate about their God, obedient to God's word, dependent on God through prayer, connected to one another, authentic and relevant in their witness. So today, I am obedient to God's word. Can you say that statement? Can you declare that big idea in your own life? I am obedient to God's word. Let's take a look. The first passage is going to be 1 John 2, 3 through 6. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. I love this passage. I preach for this passage a lot on the road. Uh, it's a very practical passage, and, and boy, John does not mince words here. He makes things very clear. Here's what he says in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. 
But if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Wow. That's pretty straightforward. Some people would even say a little judgy. Well, listen, this morning, I hope you don't think that about us. Uh, we're preaching God's word. I don't think John was intending to be judgy. I think he was trying to lay down uh, the law and say, here's what it is, people. Let's not mince words with this. I don't think we're being judgy. I think we're being more like a uh, grade A national fruit inspector. That's what we're doing. We're just inspecting fruit today. We're not judging you, but we can look at what comes out of your life. And we might know something or, or you should be able to determine having looked at what's coming out of your life, whether this is true in you or not. Again, do not confuse getting saved or salvation with walking with Christ. Don't get those two confused. You don't get saved by being perfect. That won't work. You will never reach perfection in this life. That's why we so desperately need Jesus. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. We rely on the righteousness of Christ. His death on the cross took our sins and gave us his righteousness. So you as a believer, if you've asked Christ to forgive your sin, come into your life as Savior and Lord, if you've done that, then you have been declared righteous. 100% righteous. Tim Mayette, you're perfect. Bet your wife never says that. (laughs) Perfect. And it's hard for us. We laugh at that because we all know to say that about yourself and you just say, no, no, I'm not perfect. But you need to understand that for salvation, you've been declared righteous in God's eyes. Then, after that, after then, later, then, we work out our salvation. The Bible tells us that. Work out your salvation with trembling. Does it mean I got to work for my salvation? No, that's not what it says. Work out yourself. You are saved. In God's eyes, you are 100% righteous. Now walk that way. But what if I fail? Yes, we will. But we ought to be striving. You ever read Paul's letters? He's always talking about striving toward the, working toward, running the race. I mean, it's, it's something on our part. We get involved in the process of sanctification. We get help from above, but we are all moving toward this. What John's talking about is not when you sin, when you fight the battle, fight the battle, fight the battle, slip and fall. You know what? Ask God if he can get back up and keep walking. John's not talking about that. He's talking about the constant, willful, sinful life that says, I'm saved. I've got my get out of hell free card. I got my fire insurance. I'll live like I want to. It doesn't matter how I live because I'm already saved. John's saying, no, no. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. What? That's strong. So would John be calling me a liar today if I sinned? No, he's talking about those that are willfully choosing a sinful life and claiming to be in Christ. We will sin. God has a remedy for that. We fall at the, at the, the foot of the cross and we, we ask Christ to forgive us. And we keep moving on. We don't have to get re-saved. This is such a hard thing to preach. Because I don't want you to confuse salvation with sanctification, justification with walking with Christ. If you're saved, you are perfect in God's eyes. Now you need to learn to walk that way. It'll take you a lifetime. 
You're like, when I'm 55, I'll get there. No, you won't. Here's what I've learned by turning double nickels. At double nickels, I realized how much further I was away than I thought I was when I was 40. It's what God does spiritually in your life. There's more things that he reveals and says, these are things that are important to me. And so we continue when I'm 70, when I'm 80, I'm not living that long. But if I get somewhere around that age, I I need to be continually pressing toward the mark, working out my salvation, growing in grace, right? All these things that never ends. You never arrive. But at the same time, you can't then just totally live in sin willfully, knowingly, and call yourself a believer, John makes it very clear. We know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lives. So the question that you need to ask is, am I obedient? When I ask you that question, let me just ask you in terms of, are you continually, consistently walking in obedience? You might stumble and fall. You might be struggling with that old self and doing battle. Get back up and keep walking. But if if that doesn't describe you, if you're more along the line, well, I'm, a, I'm sad, I go to church, kind of go to heaven, it doesn't really matter, I'll do whatever I want. I know God says this, but I'll do this. If that's the way you're living, then you need to ask yourself this morning, how does First John 2 apply to me? How does that apply to my life? Am I obedient? And so that's why I want to talk to you today about it is not just external. Everybody say external. This is external. I had to choose which Harley to wear today. I wore a thicker kind of shirt because, you know, it's cold out there, right? That's, I put it on there. I put on the external, right? We wear things, you know, and we, we do things that, are, you know, we see things that are external. But when we talk about obedience, I do not want to approach this topic from the external. Trust me, it would be so much easier to preach if I could just tell you what you should obey. If I could just stand here and say, okay, John just says, if you're obedient, then you're with Christ. If you're not obedient, so here's how you can be obedient. Don't wear blue jeans. Don't go to movies. Don't dance. Don't listen to rock and roll. Don't, 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 don't. That would be so easy. Man, I could have had a sermon in 10 seconds this week. I'd just come and give you a list of these are the things. You know, I'm, I'm joking, right? You do understand the church has done that historically. The church has just said, you know what? Just these are the rules because these are my preferences, right? Don't eat any other pizza except for Gino's East pizza. Thus saith the Lord. No, no. Guys, that's called legalism. When somebody stands here and just tells you, here's your checklist. Don't do these things. And guess what? All those things are usually going to be external. Everybody say external. I'm not going to talk to you about external. I trust that if you get this message right, and if your heart is right, the outside will begin to reflect what's on the inside. If I were to give you a list of things to do or not to do, you might be able to walk out of here and make your check marks, but that doesn't make you righteous and pure. I've met a lot of people who live by a lot of rules, but you know what? They are so proudful, prideful, and arrogant, even about their own righteousness, that doesn't please the Lord. So, so we got to talk about this battle that begins on the inside. Everybody say the inside. inside. This is what I want to deal with today. Are you obedient internally? And has that made its way out externally into your choices? You see, I was a bachelor. Every guy should be one for a short period of time. I was in uh, Cornerstone University. 
Back then it was Grand Rapids Baptist. Uh, changed like a year later, two years later. Um, going through youth ministry class, living in a dorm room. I was an RA, resident assistant. So most of the time I had my own little room. But you can imagine, you could fit, I don't know, eight of those rooms on this stage. You, you ever been in a college dorm room? Block, you know, just block walls. And uh, I had a couch Right? The school provided a bed and a dresser and a closet, so I really had a couch. <laughs> and I, I told you the story last week. I got called to Calvary Battle, Battle Creek, Calvary Baptist Battle Creek as their youth pastor. Well, I left after graduation in May, and I moved to Battle Creek. From Grand Rapids to Battle Creek is about an hour, and it wasn't a hard move because I had a, a couch. That's all I owned. Calvary had a three-story parsonage for me to move into. I was 21 years old, I graduated from college, and I moved there with my couch. Three stories, four bedrooms, didn't even have a bed. Thankfully, I had lots of closets, because every room in the place had a closet. So I remember I moved in as a bachelor, and I put some clothes in that closet, some clothes in this closet, some clothes in that closet, and I put my couch in the living room. And then I began to live life as a bachelor. I had no idea how to live in a house. I slept on a, a floor in a different room each night. I'm like, I'm going to go sleep in that room tonight. And I slept on the floor there. And then I had to cook. My whole life, I had been taken care of by a southern mom who cooked. Business and gravy every morning, fried eggs, bacon, oh my goodness, fried chicken on Sunday. I mean, I was taken care of. Went to college and they had a line that you could go through and show a card and eat what you wanted to. I moved to Battle Creek and there was nobody there to serve me. I had to learn to cook. I didn't know what to do. So as a 21-year-old kid, never having done this before, I went to Felposh. Felposh is what you guys would call Beakies. Beakies is a little grocery store in Battle Creek right next to the church, Felposh. So I went to Felposh, got a cart, and I thought, now what do I do? So I walked up and down each aisle, and I thought to myself, I'm going to try to remember mom's kitchen and pantries, and if she had it, I'm going to buy it. So I just went through and I started buying stuff that I knew my mom had. And I bought everything. I bought stuff. I bought, you know, things and things and stuff. And I got home and I brought all those groceries. I didn't even know where they go. Where do they go? So I started putting stuff away. Now, I had bought a five-pound bag of potatoes because my mom always had potatoes. I did not know where they go. Now, don't judge me. I thought to myself, that is a vegetable. Pretty good, right? Spot on. In the refrigerator, there's a drawer that actually has the words vegetables. And so I'm going to put those potatoes in that vegetable bin. So that's what I did. Don't judge me. I know today I put them in the pantry. It doesn't matter. We leave them there to eyes grow and all that kind of stuff. I know how to do it right now. But back then I put them in the fridge in the vegetable drawer. There it sat. You know, I'm not saying I ever could cook potatoes. I'm just saying I bought them because my mom had some. So fast forward about a year and a half later. My sister, Kathy, came to visit for the first time. She's five years older than me. So she decided to take a trip to see her, her uh, brother living all on his own, doing big boy stuff. And so she came to the house. I was all excited. She came to the kitchen door, and she knocked, and I came to the door, and I opened the door, and, and I was waiting for this big moment, a big hug, welcome. And I opened the door, I'm like, hey. And she goes, whoo, what's that smell? What's that smell? I'm like, I don't know. I was a bachelor. I have no idea. And she started doing that woman thing. She started walking all around the kitchen with her nose. And she's going in and out and around and all over the place, in and out every drawer. And then she opened the refrigerator. 
And she's like, Ooh, something's dead in there. And she looked around and finally she opened up that vegetable drawer. Now I hadn't touched those potatoes in over a year and a half. And those, those potatoes weren't potatoes anymore. It's a cool science experiment. Jeff, you ought to try this at school. It was a bag of green slime. Just a bag of green slime. And apparently it had been smelling, but I'm a bachelor. You get kind of used to it, right? You have no idea. So I had no idea. So here's what I did. I realized right away that my refrigerator had a problem. So I got out some Windex and paper towel. And I squirted the outside of the fridge top to bottom. And then I scrubbed the whole fridge. Got the whole outside of the fridge sparkling clean. And that fixed the problem, right? Are you with me this morning? How many of you would raise your hand and say, PD, I'm sure that that fixed the problem? Nobody. Okay, so I did what was next. I realized that the problem with my refrigerator is that it must be depressed. My refrigerator just must be down. And so I thought I would uh, give my refrigerator some more excitement. And so I bought some uh, magazines of other appliances and I put it inside my fridge. I thought, here you go, fridge, enjoy this. Maybe some entertainment will make you feel better. And of course, immediately that fixed the problem, right? Anybody agree? Not a chance. I thought to myself, maybe this refrigerator just is feeling down because it needs some accolades. And so I went and bought some bumper stickers for my refrigerator. You know, my, my other appliance is a microwave and whatever. You know, I've been slapping these things all over my fridge, status stuff, you know. Uh, and I thought, man, if I elevate the status of this refrigerator, it's going to be all better. Who thinks that that fixed the problem? Like, you're with me, right? Are you with me this morning? You guys do understand I didn't do any of those things. You're like, man, he really was a stupid bachelor. I didn't do any of those things. I didn't bother cleaning outside of the fridge because you know that doesn't do anything. My refrigerator didn't have a problem because of its identity. It didn't have a problem because of the status. My refrigerator had a problem because something was rotten on the inside. Somebody say inside. Inside. So what I really did was went back to Felposh because I wasn't touching that mess. And I bought those yellow plastic gloves that go way up here. And I got some Clorox bleach, high concentrate, bad for you in the environment, but I don't care. I got the good stuff. And I got into that refrigerator and I had to pull out the whole vegetable drawer. I went over to the sink, got some hot water. And I dove in. Just wiping down hot water soap. I was working my tail off. What? Because the problem was on the inside. Now listen, you might think this is just a silly illustration. Probably one of the best you'll ever hear. (laughs) Because most churches are going to preach sermons about windexing the outside of your life. Just look right, don't make waves, show up to church, and you'll be fine. You can scrub the outside appearance All you want, if you've never dove into the inside and gotten rid of the root of the problem, it's going to stink. It's going to stink. So I'm not judging anybody today, but my fruit inspection license tells me to remind you of this. If you've said the apple tree prayer, why is your life just producing lemons? The apple tree prayer being a prayer for salvation. If you've said the apple tree prayer, then why is your life producing lemons? John is simply being a fruit inspector and say, if you've received Christ, 
live in obedience? Do we produce lemons every once a Yeah, we still do. That's the process of sanctification. Hopefully that lemon that you produce should bother you. The problem that John's getting to is if it doesn't bother you that your life is producing, it doesn't bother you that on the inside is this rank, green, slimy mess that hasn't been eradicated. If that doesn't bother you, then that's a problem. So this morning we're going to talk about four ways to win the battle. And this is a battle. It's an internal battle, not an external battle. Four ways to win the battle. Number one, I will not tolerate being a slave to sin. Everybody say tolerate. The Bible tells us we shouldn't tolerate, we shouldn't put up with the, the, that, 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 that mentality of, well, I'm just a sinner. You've heard people say that. You might have said that before. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What does it matter? You know, I'll be forgiven. No, no. It, it does matter how we live, and we shouldn't tolerate being a slave to sin. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who lives, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Free. The moment you've accepted God's salvation by asking him to forgive your sin and come into your life as Savior and Lord is the moment that Christ sets you free. You're not to be a slave to sin. People without Christ, people without salvation, they're slaves to sin and they don't even know it. They're in bondage. God says for a believer, your life shouldn't be marked by being in bondage. You've been set free. The chains are gone. We sing it when we sing Amazing Grace, right? My chains are gone. I've been set free, right? Are you or are you still living in bondage? The number one thing to win the battle is don't tolerate being a slave to sin. Refuse to live that way. Make a change. It's beginning of the year, and so some of you are doing that. I don't know what you're working on. I mean, I'm sure you can tell I've lost all sorts of weight already, right? Come on, help the poor guy. Seven pounds. I lost seven pounds in about five days. My wife was so mad. Yeah, go ahead and clap because it makes her so mad. She hates living with a husband that all we do is just stop eating sweets and I lose weight like crazy. She's like, I hate that. That drives me crazy. But, you know, of course, if I stop eating the way I was eating, then I'm going to lose some weight. So I've lost a little bit of weight. Woohoo! And the impetus for that was being sick and tired of being sick and tired. You ever get sick and tired of being sick and tired? And I'm not, I'm not full-blown Margaret. Margaret, don't get all excited. Margaret does our plant-based living, eating healthy stuff. That's great. I'm not that far. But I do know this. When I eat carbs and sugar, like nonstop, non-limited, my, I hurt all over. And the moment I stop eating that junk, I don't feel that bad. Why can't I just do that all the time? Apparently, sugar, people, some people like it. <laughs> Apparently, carbs are like the best thing in the world. So it's hard, isn't it? Temptation is hard. There comes a time when you finally just say, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm just sick of living this way. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I hope you're at the spot in your Christian walk where you're finally going to say, you know what? As a believer, as a spiritual person, I'm just sick and tired of being this way. I want to stop. I'm just going to stop living this way. I need to, I need to do some true work in these areas of my life. God will help you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. It's not all on you. He should be revealing the areas. You should be seeing those areas. Those areas should bother you as a believer that you're not walking in obedience. And then you do work on that. You do work. Don't tolerate being a slave to sin. 
Second way to win the battle. I must acquire a taste for righteousness. I must acquire a taste for righteousness. Nice. I don't know about you, but I, I like coffee. Like I really like coffee, like it's a bad addiction. But I gave up a whole lot of addiction, so God gives me one to play with. I have a coffee need that I like a lot. So I keep upping the coffee game. And for Christmas, my daughter got me a Chemex. Anybody else use a Chemex? I know that we have a couple people here that do. For those of you fine coffee drinkers, this is an artwork. And, and I like that it's called Chemex. Jeff, you would like this. It's all about chemistry. My daughter bought me this contraption. And I know you're thinking, that's just a pour over. No, no. When you like coffee, and you really love coffee, you'll, you'll keep pursuing the better ways of brewing coffee. So the filters are weird. It's a sheet of paper, and you've got to learn how to open them right and get the right fold. My coffee's always top-notch coffee. I, I just ground this fresh. Oh, that's good stuff. You measure it exactly, sort of, maybe a little more than I want a little darker. There we go. All right, that's good. I pre-wet my filter. Got to pre-wet the filter before you put the grounds in because then when you put the water in, uh, it'll grab the oils coming off of the grounds and, and it'll trap that. If, the, if it was dry and you did that, you might not get that. So you want to wet. The, is you taking notes? People, take notes. You wet the filter. Good coffee. You only use artesian water from a spring that you dug and... Or you can go buy one of these at the store. And today, that's what I'm using. But good water. I usually use something better to heat mine, but this to make... And then you got to have a good cup. I use one of my 100 Harley cups. I preheated the inside of this, by the way, because you don't want to pour good coffee into a, a cold metal cup. We're going to let that just go for a while. Why am I saying all this? Because I've acquired a taste for coffee. Are you born with a taste for coffee? No. I don't know many people that loved coffee immediately. For me, um, I remember the first cup of coffee I ever had in the basement of my house in 440 Arnold, Romeoville, Illinois. I was about nine or 10. It was in the middle of summer and the Cubs were on TV. So my dad was watching the Cubs and I went and sat by my dad and my mom brought down a cup of coffee for my dad on a saucer with a cup. And she brought it downstairs and handed it to my dad. And my dad grabbed a thanks hunt and he's watching the Cubs and he took a sip. And at nine years old, I thought, I want that. So before my mom left, I said, hey, mom, I want a cup of coffee. She goes, no, you don't. I said, no, I, I, I want a cup of coffee. No, you don't. And my dad goes, let the boy drink some coffee. Let the boy drink some. So my mom went up and got a saucer and a cup and brought coffee. This is the, I had arrived, people. I'm nine years old, and I am now a full-blown adult because I'm watching the Cubs play with my dad, and I have a cup of coffee. And I remember thinking, this is the greatest moment of my life until I took that first sip. Oh, my goodness. It tastes like something they sifted through dirty underwear and socks. It's awful. I, I couldn't believe it. I took that first sip, and I'm like, but I couldn't spit it out because I'm, I'm already, you know, playing the role Mom and dad are both staring at me like, hmm, you like that coffee? Yes. <laughs> I battled that cup of coffee down. I remember that was my first experience. From there to where I'm at today, wow. Coffee is a great thing if it's done well, and the better you can do it, the better off you are. 
I'm going to teach you one last thing. Most people make the mistake of just starting to pour coffee. You only put enough water in to wet the grounds, and then you walk away. Because gases are escaping right now. And the acidity is leaving that coffee as we speak. If you were to sit and watch that, it would be bubbling. It bubbles. The beans start to bubble as the gases escape. Let me see if it's already escaped. Perfect. Now we can pour some water. Pouring the water is important that you do it. I kind of do it in a tornado kind of fashion to make sure that it gets all the sides. And then we get that coffee going. You see it coming out already, right? Oh, man. Anybody want a cup of coffee? Anybody interested? We'll keep that going here. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep this water hot. You got to babysit for a little bit because if you want a really good cup of coffee, this is what you do. It's a, it's a blessing, though, because the... Oh, you smell it, sweetie? Isn't that great? No? Oh. My wife hated coffee. Guess what? She's drinking it black now. Big girl stuff right there. Oh. Okay, I think we can let that go for... Oh, that's so beautiful. Now, you might be thinking, that's no different. That's a poor man's coffee cup. I just make it in my... No, if you make it in your pot at home, it's going to be... You got that bitterness. You got the oils. It's not as good. I'm already salivating because I know that I'm going to enjoy this cup of coffee in about two minutes after it just brews. It's, it's going to be no acid. It's the purest, silkiest taste. It's beautiful. Why do I tell you all this today? Because you need to acquire a taste for righteousness. It's not like you're born with a taste for righteousness. We're born with a taste for sinfulness. We're born with a taste of selfishness. If it feels good, do it. If it brings pleasure, take it in. That's, that's what we're prone to. We've acquired a taste for self-pleasure. The Bible tells us, I must acquire a taste for righteousness. Proverbs 2, verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Wouldn't it be great if obedience was pleasant to your soul? If knowing God and walking is his way, if that was pleasant. Here's the problem, is, is that we like the immediate. This takes time. To acquire a taste, it's just like coffee. I wasn't born with a taste for coffee. It's grown over time. I've had to travel to the mountains of Jamaica, to the Blue Mountain where the best coffee in the world is grown. It's, it's like $70 a pound right now in the United States to buy a little bag of Blue Mountain Jamaican coffee. I know that's the best in the world. I've tried them all, and it's, it's the best. That's not what I have today. I'm not that rich. But I like good coffee. Oh, man, it's going well. I can't rush it, guys. I got to let it sit. Just let it sit. I'll get there. Acquire a taste for righteousness. Have you acquired a taste for doing what's right yet? Are you still living in the taste, the thing that gets you excited, the thing that brings you most enjoyment is sin pleasure. That brings us to the next thing. The third way to win the battle is I must be convinced that soul pleasure is better than sin pleasure. In Hebrews 11, 24 to 25, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
The honest truth is, if you want to be obedient to God's word, you need to acquire a taste for righteousness. Friends, that's going to take time. You're going to have to work toward that. Working's not a bad word. It's to get you saved. But if you are saved, you should be working out your salvation. Acquiring a taste for righteousness. And then choosing soul pleasure over sin pleasure. What does that mean? Soul pleasure is obeying God. Sin pleasure is immediate gratification. Sin pleasure is, I want it, I do it, I don't care what God says, I want it, I, 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 sin pleasure. And it does bring immediate gratification, it does. The problem is, play that out 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. If you live a life as a Christian, indulging in sinful nature, then you're going to have a garbage can of addiction in your life. Constantly disobeying God and paying the consequences. The other side is choose soul pleasure. Now, soul pleasure means saying no to instant gratification. That's why it's so hard. We say no to instant gratification, sinful, the flesh, because soul pleasure takes a long time. That's why it's so hard. Soul pleasure takes a long time. Sin pleasure is immediate. Which way are you living? Am I obedient to God? Am I saying no to the flesh, things that are sinful? Am I saying no to that? And that's hard. It's like all the Christmas cookies that Julie hid in the freezer. I know where they're at. We're not eating those anymore, but for some reason they're in our freezer. I know where they're at. And I love them. But every day I'm saying, no, I'm not eating that right now. You don't just gulp, you let it sit in the palate, you enjoy it. Have you ever met a Christian who's been walking with God their whole lives? They've been walking in obedience? Do they look like somebody that's missed out on anything? The joy they have from acquiring a taste for righteousness saying no to immediate gratification and living a life of soul pleasure rather than sin pleasure, that's where real happiness and joy comes from. That's where peace comes from. What is it for you? Is that, are, do you believe God's way is best? If you don't, you will never choose soul pleasure over sin pleasure. Four, last way today, I must consistently apply God's quality control for my mind. The only way you can do this is have a changed mind, a transformed mind. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Not too long ago, we did the uh, Easter egg, chocolate Easter egg factory illustration. Well, you remember that? I remember Kenny was part of that. We brought Kenny up and, and yeah, we had uh, some people in there. And remember the whole thing about quality control? QC. Who works in QC? Anybody work in QC at their job? Quality control. Here is God's quality control for your mind. Quality control for decision making. Is it true? Is it just? Is it pure? 
Is it lovely? Is it good? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So here's where the practice comes in. When it enters into your mind, because this is internal, everybody say internal. I'm not going to give you a list of things to tell you what Christians should and shouldn't do. That's not my business. It's not my job. My job is to tell you that God wants you to live a life pleasing to him. Now go work that out. You need to determine your own um, distinctions on what you believe is right and wrong. And you need to walk in that. But you do need to take the things that enter in your mind and put them through some quality control. Whatever thought comes into your mind, you need to ask, is that true? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it good? And if it doesn't meet those standards, you've got to get rid of it. Don't even let it go anywhere else besides your mind. End it right there. Don't let it go to your decision-making and your doing things and living external. What happens on the inside makes its way out to the outside. Jesus said such a thing when he says, why are you so worried about outward things? It's what is in you that makes you clean or not. Because what's in you comes out of you. And so this morning as I preach through obeying God's word, the question is, am I obedient? And it's a hard thing. It'd be so much easier just to preach a list of do's and don'ts or out word external things, but really the battle is on the inside. I pray that you're battling, number one. I pray that you're dis- making decisions, learning to discern. Go ahead, Alec, bring your team up for our closing song. Really what it comes down to is the song that Alec has chose to close us with today. All hail King Jesus. If he is King and Lord of your life, is that being displayed externally is the evidence there that what happened into you internally is real if you're struggling with sin by the way i do want to end by making sure you do understand grace that's why preaching this is hard it's just easier to preach sin and condemnation it's a lot harder to preach grace because some of you would probably take the balance out of whack and say well it doesn't matter because it falls under grace yes it does but god has also called us to live obedient lives He's called us to honor him with our choices, what we do and what we don't do. Battle that on the inside and see if it can't start working its way on the outside. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd help us to live this out. Help us to truly mean the words that we sing here. All hail King Jesus. If you're Lord of our lives, God, I pray that we would be following you. We'd be surrendering to you. We'd allow you to lead and we'd allow your judgments to be what we decide and choose in our own lives. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.